This episode of Hello PhD is sponsored by Promega and listeners like you. Thanks for your support. What you do is you get a sheet of notebook paper, you rip it out of the spiral binding, and you write, will you be my mentor? Yes, no. You fold it up and you slide it under the door. Welcome to Hello PhD, the podcast for scientists and the people who love them. One mentor is not enough, so this week we tell you about the three mentors you definitely need. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 157. I'm Joshua Hall. I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Dan, we almost made it to being in the studio together this week. We did. Uh, this was a, this is going to be our big debut back together at last after 15 months of uh, pandemic. And my son, my five-year-old, has been in school. And didn't he just come home with a cold from one of the other little kids? And, and we got him tested for COVID. It's negative, obviously. But then I got a cold and I haven't been sick in over a year. And uh, I can, I'm here to inform you, it's not awesome. I did not miss it. Well, I was going to congratulate you on taking a key step into returning to normalcy, and that is getting the common cold again. Yay for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's really been interesting experience for me because I haven't been to the office, so I am not spreading it around. And I have masks. So if I need to go somewhere, I put a mask on and it's totally a normal situation. So I'm hoping that my family is the only group that gets this cold and we don't spread it anywhere else, which would be an improvement over prior years. Well, and you know, Dan, that's a great point because in the prior pandemic times, you would have totally come over to record just because you had a cold and we wouldn't have thought 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 nothing of it. So uh, thank you for (laughs) <laughs> taking my health and my family's health into consideration. I hope you feel better. Uh, I am disappointed, Dan, that you're not here to drink this beer with me. I did go out and pick up some beers for our next several segments. Uh, this one actually has some oranges in it, Dan, so I think maybe you could have uh, gotten some of your vitamin C intake <laughs> I, by drinking I'm this sure beer. It has <laughs> almost no vitamin C in that beer, but yeah, tell me about it. I, I have a glass of orange juice here, so tell me about what you have. All right, well, I've got one for you. You can try at some point, but this is one, Dan, that I actually had. You know, I've been doing a lot of camping lately, and this is one I happened to pick up from the bottle shop. It is a riff on the White Street Kolsch, which is a fairly popular beer in this area. Have you had the White Street Kolsch? I feel like I have, or White Claw. I don't know which. (laughs) Okay, this is not like the White Claw. I don't think I've had White Claw. Uh, So White Street Brewing is in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and the Kolsch is probably their most popular beer. And I have a quick funny aside story about the White Street Kolsch before I get into this beer. Uh, Dan, you know, before the pandemic, probably for five or six years in a row, um, on my birthday, I would go to this certain beer establishment and just invite whoever wanted to come over to come hang out. And this place has like 40 beers on tap. But for some reason, the owner who who I've gotten to know decently well through the years, I think the second time that I ever, out of like five times that I went to uh, have my birthday celebration, I'd usually go ahead of time, tell her, hey, you know, probably going to have a number of people here. Can we reserve the patio? No problem. And so... <laughs> I showed up and she said, hey, you really like White Street Kolsch, don't you? I mean, it's fine. You know, I wouldn't say it's my favorite 
but I think I felt like I should be polite. And so I said, oh, yeah, yeah, great. She's like, well, I put that on because I know how much you like it. Every year <laughs> for the next four years, I would come in for my birthday. She'd say, I got that White Street Coles for you. <laughs> Wait a minute. And I never had the heart to say, well, okay, that's fine. It's not really Who does she think you are? I don't know. Someone who likes White Street Gulch. <laughs> okay, well, that is I didn't I didn't know that. that. And it's amazing that year to year she keeps that on on hand for you every year. And, you know, it's not like we had lots of conversations in between, right? So I would say probably seventy percent of our conversations we've had over the last five years involved her putting White Street Gulch on tap for me. You know, it's funny. She told me the same thing when I came in. So <laughs> I think she just always had a white street Kolsch on tap. Maybe. So let me tell you about this one there, Dan. This is the fruit stand white street Kolsch. And so this is their normal white street Kolsch with the addition of blood orange. And is it delicious? Uh, it's pretty good. It The thing that has really hit me with this one, first of all, I think I like it more than the white street Kolsch. Definitely is refreshing, but I'm excited for you to try it, Dan. It is tart without being sour. But as I was uh, sitting around the campfire on an 80-degree day, <laughs> this was a, a great, refreshing beer. I enjoyed it. Well, I will, I will call the bar owner before your birthday this year, and I will try <laughs> to get the fruit stand White Street Colch. I'll tell her that's like you're turning over a new leaf in your old age. Well, this is a limited edition, I noticed, but maybe at the very least you could bring me a bag of blood oranges that I could squeeze into my White Street Colch. Fair enough, Josh. Well, uh, I will look forward to, to sampling that. I want to take this opportunity to thank our friends at Promega. You know, being a scientist is more than just running experiments and analyzing data. That might be a surprise to some of you. Uh, But whether you're giving a presentation at a conference or writing an article on your recent results, Promega can help. Head to the Student Resource Center and check out webinars and scientific writing and poster presentations starring Josh and me. Visit promega.com slash hellophd to learn more. Also, Dan, we want to let our listeners know about some exciting news from BioBox. Are you spending months learning how to use bioinformatic tools? Well, you can leverage the BioBox platform to analyze and explore your genomic data without learning how to code. Experience a platform designed for everyone in the lab, and you can sign up for free at biobox.io. All right, Josh. Well, before I enter into a sneezing fit, let's get on with the show. All right, Dan, I would say there is little debate that in a PhD program, there's no relationship more important than that with your research advisor. Would you agree? Okay. Um, I will take the bait on this. Yes, it, it, it can span the range from uh, uplifting, edifying, beneficial, you know, rocket fuel for your career, or it can destroy your love of science and life. So yeah, I would say that Uh, where you dial in on that relationship makes a big impact on your training. You know, as you alluded to, Dan, oftentimes having a fulfilling and fruitful grad school experience really hinges on how functional your relationship with your advisor happens to be. But despite the importance of that relationship, what I want to talk about today is that there are other mentors you ideally should have during grad school besides your primary research advisor. And specifically, I'm going to discuss today three mentors that I think every grad student or science trainee really needs to have. I like that. Um, Does this take some of the pressure off of my primary PI mentor? Definitely does. You know, we have been known to uh, 
<laughs> to give PIs, give advisors a hard time from time to time. But it's not necessarily fair to expect your research advisor to be able to guide you through every facet of your career and training. They might be very well equipped to advise you on your research project, but they probably aren't the best person to help you navigate your career exploration or other aspects that are equally important components of grad school. So Dan, do you want to hear about these mentors that you need to have on your side during your training? Yeah, let's, let's hear the first one. We'll see where this takes us. All right, Dan, this first one I like to call the other science mentor. You say it with like a cool echo effect? The other <laughs> side. Other, other, other. And so let me tell you what I mean by this. So I just got done saying that your primary research advisor is probably the best one to advise you on your thesis work, on your science, on your research. But I think it's really important during grad school to have another mentor who can also give you advice and feedback on the specifics of your project and your progress through your training. And one reason for this is, as I said, we talk about all the time on the show, there's all these other layers to your relationship with your advisor, Dan. If you can think about your time as a grad student and your relationship with your thesis advisor, over time especially, there's more that happens. There are things that happen that muddy the water between just, oh, hey, it's cool, you know, you're helping me out with my science. Uh, it gets a little messy when you're working with your advisor in that certain way for, for a period of years, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they have taken some of their resources and they're spending them on you. And the speed at which you get your work done is impacting their ability to publish and their ability to get tenure and their ability to get grants. And so I, I think you're, you've got it exactly right. They can't stand back and just say, oh, here, here are some objective advice about this because everything has to be colored with, I need to get this person to get the work done so that I can get all of these uh, aspects of my career to advance. It's kind of like when, when you have a problem, it's easier for your therapist to talk to you about it and to listen because your therapist doesn't have any, any real skin in the game. Uh, they can just listen to you talk and, and help you figure out your own issues. Whereas maybe your spouse or your friend or something, they might try and give you all this advice to change it because it's also affecting them. That's absolutely right. And, and I think a lot of trainees might be surprised to, to hear that that's true. You know, I think a grad student or a postdoc or anyone who's in a trainee in a research lab, they certainly would acknowledge that their career relies a bit, quite a bit on their advisor, on their PI. But they might be surprised to realize that their advisor's career also relies on them and the work they are doing. Quite literally, their career cart is hitched to yours and your careers really are interconnected. You know, your successes and failures impact each other. And so, as you mentioned, Dan, that objectivity, it can be really hard for your primary research advisor to be objective. However, you really do, as a graduate student, need advice and you need guidance on your research, on the specifics of the work that you're doing. So, can you can you give us an example of, of how a mentor would maybe not give you the most objective advice or, or like what that would look like in the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you a couple examples. One of them, let's imagine that you started writing up results to publish a paper. Oh, I would that were, <laughs> that were true, Josh. That would be wonderful. Yeah, just suspend reality, Dan, and just imagine that you had enough data. <laughs> imagine to I got results. Up. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> For a paper. Nobody believes it, but yes. So, you know, you write up a draft, you give it to your PI to read, and they come back and say, oh, you know, this would really be great with just one more experiment. 
but this is like the 13th time they've said this to you. And you think it's a complete story. And oh, by the way, you're also in your fifth year of grad school and you really need this paper to get out so you can graduate and you can move on with your life. Now, here is where having another scientist who's familiar with your work and your field and the publishing process within your field can really be a good mediator in this situation and give you some advice. Um, or maybe you're just stuck. You know, your PI keeps telling you to repeat some experiment that used to give cool results but now it's not going anywhere and you're really out of ideas. Having another knowledgeable person in your field can really help you navigate out of a situation, a specific situation with your own research. So, I mean, I agree with you that this could be valuable to have this outside person. And I guess what I don't understand is, is this different from my committee? And how do I, how do I recognize this person when I find them? Yeah, so here are a few features that I think make up a good other science mentor. One, obviously, and we've mentioned this already, they are someone who is knowledgeable about your research, the type of work you're doing specifically. But also, I think it's important, maybe not completely required, but best case scenario, there's someone who's in your department. You know, you mentioned the committee, Dan, and I think in grad school, theoretically, there is a structure for this type of mentor that I'm describing, and it is your committee. So I think at the very least, best case scenario, this person we're talking about also is on your thesis committee. And if they're not, why aren't they? Um, But the third thing that I think is a good feature of an other science mentor is you like talking to them. You know, they're another scientist in your field, maybe another faculty member in your department, and it's somebody you have enjoyed talking to about science or hearing them talk about science. Maybe they were your second choice lab that you almost joined, or maybe your favorite lecture in a class you took during your first year or whatever. I think most students don't utilize other faculty in their department enough, and especially their committee enough, because that's really what your committee is for. It's another group of faculty who are knowledgeable about the type of work you do, who are not your PI, who can help you navigate your time in grad school. Yeah, it's really the once a year required time that I spoke to my committee. And they were always very helpful, but I assume if I had checked in with them, you know, on a every few months, they would have helped me even more. Yeah, well, I know from firsthand experience when I was in grad school, I had a faculty member in my department that I would go to from time to time when I was feeling stuck about my project. And those really ended up being helpful and fun conversations. And as I was reflecting on this, what is interesting and ironic about my personal other science mentor is that that faculty member uh, was not necessarily the best primary research mentor. (laughs) You know, they were helpful, super helpful and supportive of me coming to them for scientific advice, but they were often terrible (laughs) to the people in their own lab. So you know, I'm not advocating that you should seek out faculty in your department who are terrible advisors, but I'm just saying that your relationship with this person ends up being more purely scientific without muddying the water by them being your quote-unquote boss and running your lab. And, and a part of that, I think, is what you said, Dan. Your careers aren't tied together, so their advice is more objective, which is exactly why having an other science mentor can be so helpful. Okay, so I'm, I'm sold on this, and I, I am thinking now of the people with the tra- the traits that you just described, that somebody that I did like talking to, you know, I could have seen myself in their lab, but I didn't join that lab. Um, you know, they were in a, an adjacent department and my project was split between departments. So I can think of this person and you're going to tell me about two more mentors that I need. How, 
how do I approach this this conversation? Do I say, "Will you be my <laughs> will you be my like mentor?" Will you, what is this, what does the conversation start like? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Dan, and I think that's going to be a relevant question for all three of these types of mentors. That's why I'm asking it right now because <laughs> you know I can think of the most awkward possible way of asking, which is like, "Will you please be my mentor?" But I think it could also be as casual as like, oh, I'd love to show you some results I have. Can we get coffee next week? Well, Dan, I was going to recommend that what you do is you get a sheet of notebook paper, uh, you you rip it out of the spiral binding, and you write, will you be my mentor? Yes, no. You fold it up and you slide it under their door. Perfect. And if they say no, then you can go cry in the playground for an hour. Or maybe they write in maybe. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. You don't know what to do. Like, I guess what I'm asking is, does it need to be a formalized statement of a mentor-mentee relationship? Or, or like when you went down to the hall and talked to this other uh, faculty member, was it just they were interested in your work and you wanted to show them? How did that work? You know, at the time, a lot of this is me sort of thinking back and realizing what was helpful for me uh, or what ha- what have I seen be helpful for other students and so I think maybe in your own mind, as you're planning your own career and your own training, uh, maybe you do formalize this. You know, you are organized about this. And, you know, I'm actually going to recommend uh, that folks listening to this, they really think about specifically, do I have these three types of mentors in my career, in my life? Um, but I don't think you have to be so formulaic to then approach people and say, excuse me, will you be my mentor? <laughs> think, but you know, I think you connect with them. Um, I've been watching you for a long time <laughs> and I think you'd be a great mentor. You were my second favorite faculty member in the department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think most faculty, if you reach out to them and say, hey, you know what? I'm feeling a little stuck with my science. I know you know a lot about this. I'd love to get your advice. Could we, could we just have a Zoom meeting or come by your office and, and just talk about my project? Faculty often don't get to just talk about science enough, but that's the thing they really like to do. So I think yeah. you will not have trouble uh, finding someone in your department, faculty member, to talk to you about your science and give you I, advice. I feel better. <laughs> the other thing faculty like yeah. to do, give advice. That's so. right. Yeah, no, I feel, I feel better about that. And I think that would, that would help me uh, t- to reach out in a way that, that felt authentic, but also not super weird. All right, Dan, this next mentor should be no surprise to anyone because careers are something we talk about all the time on this show. But the second type of mentor you definitely need is a career mentor. It's assuming that you want to have a career. (laughs) That's true. If you don't, don't get a mentor. That's right. No need. But, you know, your, your research advisor, they chose a certain career path. They wanted to be a faculty member in an academic setting. And therefore, if your career ideas are different than that, you're going to need to seek out someone who has knowledge of other career paths. And I would actually even argue that if your career goals are to become a faculty, to become faculty at a university, like the one where you currently are a grad student, it's still a good idea to have someone else who's not your PI provide career guidance to you. And, you know, that's not to say that your advisor can't give you advice or even give you good advice on career stuff. But the most effective advice is going to come from someone who, like we said, doesn't have their career tied up with yours or a vested interest in you behaving a certain way. Uh, You know, it's no secret that academic PIs 
really deep down like to create a legacy of trainees who are part of their lineage and go off to start their own labs at other universities. And because of that, it might be hard for them to give you advice from a vantage point where they're truly listening to you and giving objective feedback to choose whatever career might be interesting to you. That makes sense. And you don't know what you don't know. So there are millions of careers I haven't had. I, I don't know what it's like to run a prep program for post-bac students. Uh, so if you came to me and asked me, is that a great job? I'd say, I don't know. Uh, but Josh, you know about that and you could probably expound on it for days. And so um, I, I totally agree with you. Find somebody who's doing the work that you want to do and maybe find multiple people, uh, especially if you're exploring careers and it doesn't cost you anything to have uh, these contacts, these resources, these people with experience, and have them help you navigate this uncharted water. Absolutely, Dan. And we're going to talk a little more about that in, in just a second. Thinking back on my own experience, I mentioned that I certainly had an other science mentor during when I was in grad school, but I definitely did not have a career mentor when I was in grad school. And that had some real negative consequences. And And so one of the things that happened to me was, you know, I went through grad school, I went through my postdoc, and about six months into my postdoc, I had this career crisis where, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I think the thing I thought I wanted to do for years, I'm pretty sure I don't want to do now, but I have no clue what else I could do. I thought I was your career mentor, Josh. <laughs> you were, Dan. I, don't know. I also <laughs> didn't know what I wanted to do long before you didn't know what you wanted to do. <laughs> it's absolutely true. I was like, hey, Dan, I finally got to the point. I'm miserable like you now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm your misery mentor. <laughs> that's right. What was it? Quarter life crisis support group. Quarter life crisis. That's right. But you know, the, the problem came in where, I mean, this was good and bad. What should have been good became uh, more negative than it needed to be was I finally did come across an opportunity, a career opportunity that I felt was a great fit for me. And it ended up being the, the career that I'm in now, which has been a great fit and a great move, one of the best career moves of my life. However, when I first told my graduate advisor, uh, who I was still in touch with about this, um, and told another trusted academic advisor who was the leader of the postdoc program I was in, when I told them about this job opportunity that I was pursuing, they tried to talk me out of it. You know, Their perspective was, well, you know, you're on this faculty track and you're doing a great job. You know, you, and actually the exact words that were, were said to me, you know, you could be a faculty member as if by exiting off that path, I was making some horrible mistake that I was going to regret for the rest of my life. Um, and that, you know, that was, even though I went into those conversations with this feeling finally of excitement of this light that wasn't a train of like, wow, you know, I really could use my degree to move towards a career that I think will be fulfilling. Then I have these conversations with these trusted advisors who really make me end up just feeling like I'm making a mistake and like I'm missing something. Yeah, the inherent value that they assign to it is about the maybe the prestige of the faculty career. But it's like saying... You could be a lion tamer, Josh, like, but I, but I don't want to do that. Right? It's like it's dangerous, and it probably smells bad. There's nothing about this that I like, but you could be. Yeah, and so in that moment, I was at a crossroads, and 
it was almost a powerful enough voice, powerful enough voices that made me second guess my own intuition about myself. And that's not a good thing. What did, what did I tell you to do, Josh? I don't actually remember. I don't remember either, but you probably told me to go for it. I probably said, does it sound good? Go do it. Go do it. <laughs> you can go back and be a faculty some other day if you'd like. <laughs> well, so let me, let me just share then uh, some of the features of a good career mentor. And one of those is the opposite of the issue that I had in my story. And that is a good career mentor, whatever career path you inevitably go down, it doesn't directly impact them. They don't care, right? They're not going to try to talk you out of something because it's not what they want for you. And this is why it's difficult to get career advice from your parents or from your spouse or from you know people who, in the same way that maybe your, your PI wants to see you go into a faculty position, your parents might really want you to be a doctor that is a you know works at a university they may not want you to go do something else or your spouse may have that same impact so you've got to find somebody who like you said is not going to be influenced by whatever it is you choose to do well and you know this one advisor that i that i mentioned just a minute ago was a leader in the postdoc program that i was part of and this person was such a nice person and someone that we would all go to if we had any issue um during the program, which is also why it was so powerful when their response was that I was making a mistake. But what I later realized, what I realized now that I'm a program director in a program was that the fellowship that I was funded under that this person was a leader in, it actually looked good on their grant renewals. If we went to faculty positions, I see. And so not, not that that was a conscious piece of the advice but it there's there's an impact for them there is an impact Sub, there, subconscious there was an impact and again it's not this person i agree it was was being purposefully uh, purposefully trying to sway me because thinking like well i need what's best for my grant not what's best for josh i don't think that's what was happening yeah exactly but but anyway it just underscores the importance that your career mentor what you inevitably do does not impact them. Um, but then the next thing, and this should be obvious, is that this is someone who is knowledgeable about the types of careers that you're interested in exploring. So maybe they are well-connected and can be someone who could recommend networking opportunities or people for you to meet, or better yet, people they can introduce you to within that career type that you're exploring. So, so important. I, I just uh, spoke with a student not long ago that wanted to call me for an informational interview. And one of the pieces of advice I gave her was, before this is over, you should ask me who you should talk to next. And so we chatted for a little bit. And then she's like, so who should I talk to next? I was like, excellent work. That's exactly <laughs> what you do. Because then I can, I can put her in touch with two more people who will put her in touch with two more people. If you, if you keep that habit up, uh, you will be in contact with all the people you need to be able to to navigate that path. Yeah, and you know, we, we learn in grad school that academia is very much about who you know and networking, but other career types are as well. Other paths are too. I want to mention too that I think especially this type of mentor, especially the career mentor, this is a category of mentor where you might have more than one. So you might have more than one career mentor, you might be interested in, in exploring multiple careers or your ideas of the careers you want to do might change. And that is totally okay. You know, you might think for a while that you want to 
pursue an industry career. So you find a mentor knowledgeable about working in industry, but then you learn more about industry and decide that's not really what you want to do. So you don't really need that mentor any longer, and that's totally okay. Um, and I know you did this too, Dan. You met different people and as you were exploring, and you learned about things you liked and certain careers you didn't want to do, which is equally valuable. Yeah, I, and I remember all the people very well because they helped me at this time where I was trying to understand what I wanted to do. And I definitely did. I got into some conversations and, you know, I didn't say, wow, that sounds terrible. I don't want your job. But, you know, I was able to leave that half an hour conversation and be able to cross off a whole section of careers off my list, which is really useful to narrow down what it is you want to be doing. Absolutely. And, you know, lastly, I just want to say about your career mentor, their role is not just to tell you about what a career is like, but really a good career mentor can help give you advice about how best to leverage your graduate training. Uh, for example, maybe certain opportunities you, you should seek out during grad school that will not just help you learn about careers, but also be more competitive for that type of career. Um, you know, they can certainly give you information about what types of career, what careers are truly like to do day to day. Um, they can help your network, but, but I think it's important to realize that when you're seeking out these relationships uh, for career mentors, their role is not to find you a job. And I don't think you should approach seeking a career mentor because you want them to hire you. And, and the reason I say that is the reason you are seeking a career mentor is strictly for guidance. And, and you also want to be open with them and honest with yourself when you're meeting with your career mentor versus just trying to say the right things to hope they might hire you. Does that make sense, Dan? Yeah, you don't want to go in basically begging for a job with them. And that's, like you said, that's not what it's about. It's about getting a new understanding and getting some new contacts and something good will fall out of that. I'm not going to say that you won't talk to somebody that's, you know, is impressed by what you've done and wants to hire you, but that isn't the purpose of you going in. And, you know, Dan, I will say, you're absolutely right. It's, it, what I'm not saying is that indirectly you taking the time to build those relationships might lead to a connection or lead to an opportunity that does eventually lead to a job. One important thing that could happen is within their own network, it's useful for them to know that, oh, you know what? Dan is a student who's finishing up soon, and I know he's interested in this type of career. So in my network, if I hear that a position opens up that I think might be a good fit, I have Dan in mind, and I might reach out to Dan and say, hey, you mentioned you were interested in this type of job. Here's just something I heard about. So it might, because that's a challenge that a lot of grad students have, especially when they're looking for that first job out of grad school, if it is outside of the typical postdoc or academia path, it's like, how do I even find these openings? How do I get my foot in the door? And meeting people who are connected, it's good for them to have you in mind when they hear about these opportunities. Absolutely. All right, Dan. So now that brings us to the last mentor, the last type of mentor that I think every grad student needs. And that one is the life mentor. All right. So I think this is an important okay, one. You need to breathe in and <laughs> breathe out periodically. Oh. So this is an important one that I think is often overlooked by graduate students, um, especially in the sciences who get really wrapped up in, in their work and their career and trying to figure all that out that, um, 
that, that this one sometimes takes a back seat, which it shouldn't. So we've talked on previous episodes about the importance of being able to bring your whole self to work, the importance of uh, being in a workspace where you feel comfortable bringing your whole self into that workspace. However, even if that's true, we all have parts of us that are separate from our work selves. We have interests and values that may impact our choice of work or how we are at work. But there are parts of me that are paramount of paramount importance to who I am that I don't necessarily openly show at work. I mean, Dan, you know, I am a pretty open person. I love speaking in front of groups of students and other colleagues. I'm fairly open on social media and I have a podcast <laughs> where I talk every week for the last few years. I'm Guilty pretty discharged. <laughs> um, but there is also this private side of me that is also valid and has to be considered when I make career decisions for me to be maximally satisfied. And because of this, and I think we've certainly talked about this on the show before, but I think it's really important to have people in your community and in your life who know about that side of you. And, and I think even beyond just friends outside of grad school, I think it's important to specifically seek out what I'm calling a life mentor. So let me tell you a little more about specifically what I mean by that and what a feature of a good life mentor might be. The first thing is this is someone who has a more holistic view of who you are and what's important to you. And on this show, we spend a lot of time talking about giving advice from an educational or career perspective, but I think having a life mentor is an important piece of that puzzle. This is someone you trust and can give you advice from a, from a vantage point of having a more complete picture of who you are as a person, what your interests are, and what your values are. And that's important because these considerations are important as you deal with challenges in grad school, but also as you make choices about your careers after grad school. So the second thing I want to say about finding, uh, choosing someone to be a life mentor, I think this is someone who is possibly, who is living in a certain way or doing certain things that you look up to or in line with what you think you'd like to do in life. So for example, you know, maybe you look up to the way someone you know balances their family and their career, or maybe they're entrepreneurial and they made something cool out of just an idea, or maybe they're just someone who has a similar value system that aligns with yours, or maybe there's just a certain piece about them that you would love to achieve in your life. Um, you know, it's really in some ways no different than on the science side. If you want to learn to be a microbiologist, seek out a microbiologist to learn from. And so, if you want to live your life a certain way, seek out mentorship and advice from someone or from a group of people living in the way you want to live. Is this necessarily an older person? Probably, right? This is what I had in mind, Dan. Uh, I think so. I think why I'm, I'm leaning more towards even maybe someone who's just a friend of yours who knows you. You know, I don't necessarily think of that as a mentoring relationship. Um, although, you know, I think you know, going back to the first point, it's important to sometimes seek advice or at least, um, you know, especially if you're facing, let's say, a challenge at work or a challenge with figuring out what you want to do with a career, especially if you face a career dilemma um, like, the ones, like the one that I faced where I was getting conflicting advice on this career opportunity that I felt a certain way about, but I was getting this advice from my advisors that was different. 
it was useful to also seek advice from people who knew me, who know me outside of just the context of who I am as a scientist, as a postdoc. And because those parts of me, my values, things that are important to me, parts of my life outside of my work self are an important part of me that does intersect with my career decisions. And so it's important to make sure you're seeking advice and input from people who know and value that side of you as well. Because it's not just a black and white, oh, well, Dan Dan does science, and this is a good science job, so why wouldn't you do this? Because there's more to everyone's story um, than that. You know who this makes me think of, Josh, is uh, a, a person that we both know who... I was in graduate school and I saw her out gardening one day. And uh, so this is, this is our friend Vera whose hundredth birthday I went to uh, before the pandemic. So now she's 101, but you know, she had so much life experience and I would go over and I'd help move plants around for her and garden things and, and hang pictures on the wall. But I still think about all the advice that she gave and she, you know, she would sit and listen to me, about what I was doing in grad school, uh, about my career stuff. She would cut out articles from the paper and give them to me. Like, she really cared. And uh, just some of the advice that she gave over those years, like, still sticks with me. So is, is that the kind of person you're talking about? That's exactly what I'm talking about, Dan. And, you know, your your story and your experience with Vera is is really the third and final thing that I think is key for this type of mentor. I think it's someone that, that you trust that they truly care about you as a person and, and really the best mentors of any of these types that we're discussing today, they don't have any ulterior motives of wanting you to do a certain thing or turn out a certain way, but they're really just people who are willing to truly listen to you and, and what you're saying and what you're going through. And because they care about you, what they want is to help you navigate to opportunities or experiences where you're going to be fulfilled and thrive, whatever those are. Well, I, I think these make a lot of sense to me. I think the third one, the life mentor, is a, a diamond to find. Um, as I came to understand what you were describing, uh, I don't have that person in my life all the time. You know, that, that's a, a tough person to find, but when you find them, hang on tight because it's it can be really powerful. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, Dan, because my reasoning for even bringing up this topic this week really came from a place of me reflecting on this this void that I currently have of the certain type of mentor and realizing, you know what, there are some some seasons in my life where, you know, I've had mentors of these types, but I really don't have one right now and I could really really use one. And I think in thinking about the importance that people have served as people outside of my advisor, my advisors have served as mentors to me in different ways uh, that have been really valuable. That's still valuable today. So, so I'm glad you said that. And I want to point out that, you know, we're talking a lot to our audience who a lot of whom are students, grad students, postdocs, but yes, these are important people to seek out in your life, no matter what life stage you're in. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you've listed them sort of in an order of their accessibility and how easily you might find them. So I don't need a science advisor right now, (laughs) but I do have, I do have programming mentors. Like I have people who 
look at what I write and they give me feedback and they let me look at stuff they write. And I, you know, so I am learning through that sort of uh, experiential apprenticeship feedback that I'm getting from these people who have been in the business a long time and, and really understand the details of the things I'm trying to learn. I don't necessarily have a career advisor, but I could, right? There, there are people certainly in careers that I may want to progress to that I could go find. And then this, this life mentor, again, I think it's like, <laughs> I should go looking, but uh, it's, it's one of the gifts of life. It absolutely is. It absolutely is, Dan. Well, hopefully some of, some of you all found, found this useful. And if you have feedback or ideas on other types of mentors, or if you have stories about some really great experiences with mentors that you have had, uh, we'd love to hear about them. You can always email us, podcast at hellophd.com, or you can send us a tweet at hellophd. If you like the show, you can leave us a review. We love your feedback, and it helps new listeners find the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can become a patron. Simply go to our website, hellophd.com, click the Become a Patron button, or visit patreon.com slash hellophd. We certainly appreciate the beer money, and thanks to the ongoing support from all of our patrons. Dan, you made it through the show. I made it, and I sneezed zero times. I feel really proud of myself. I am impressed. Well, I'm going to hold out hope that you get healthy and we stay healthy on this end, and maybe you'll be back here in the studio next episode. Okay, well, keep the beer cold for me. (laughs) Will do, Dan. We'll see you.